Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. How are you guys doing? I'm I'm doing good. It's been kind of a, a little bit of a rocky past uh, day or so, because um, if you don't know, I currently live in New York City, and there was recently a, a tragic incident that happened in Brooklyn. I'm okay. No need to worry, but my heart really goes out to anyone who was like in Brooklyn or was near the area where the incident happened. Please, please, please stay safe, protect yourself, you know, walk, take the bus. Like if you have to avoid the subways, like do what you can. Um, But scary time, a little bit of a scary time, but we're good. We're good. So anyways, before we, we get into the meat and potatoes of what today's episode is about which you could probably guess from the title obviously i always want to do some opening minutes as i like to call as i i I consider episodes like gatherings of the afternoon special club or whatever so opening minutes i still cannot get everything everywhere all at once out of my head it's been a week since i have seen the film now and i still i've never been so utterly gobsmacked by a movie in like the best possible way like and that's kind of (laughs) that's a running through line on a lot of the reviews and everything that I've seen talking about the film where it's like it's messy but in the best possible way or like it's disorienting but in the best possible way like it, it really is so so good um and yesterday I was kind of like I was like I want to talk about everything everywhere all at once on my TikTok and I just couldn't even begin to focus my brain around how I wanted to approach the topic because it made me feel so many things so much so that when I came home from seeing the movie after I saw the movie I was with my friend Nicole and I was kind of quiet after going to see it because I just I was trying to process what I had just seen that's how like arrested all of my thoughts were by it and so I like I got on the train I got on the bus going home and I was still thinking about it and then I got on the phone with my friend when I got home and then just the floodgates just opened. I was sobbing. I was just like, oh, this is just so beautiful, such a beautiful story. Like, it was bad. It was bad. I completely lost it. So, needless to say, this movie is is absolutely incredible, and I will probably still be talking about how the fact you just have to go, you have to go see it. You have to go experience it for yourself. I'm going to go see it again. The first watch, you're kind of taking in everything because it's kind of an interesting, you know, structure and and everything with how it's laid out. But upon a second watch, I think you'll just be able to like really just enjoy it for what it is, which is art, essentially. And you guys know me. I don't get into the whole like prestige or like this is a film, you know, like that's not that's not my my bag. I never really approach it from that way. But this the story is simple because it's just it's about love. It's about family. It's about loving yourself like it's the the themes of it are very simple and I think that's what helps the movie be able to just have no guardrails and just go like absolutely buck wild and crazy but still have this really strong story that anyone can identify with so once again this is my second time <laughs> in a podcast saying you should go see everything everywhere all at once if it is in your local theater because it's not in a lot of people's theaters but when it eventually makes it there or when it goes to streaming or whatever highly recommend it definitely go see it in some very sad news yesterday we lost gilbert gottfried uh very prolific comedian who passed away and I 
I was like, it was already a lot going on yesterday. And then I, that happened. I was like, what the, what's, what's going on? I was completely like, it, it shook me to my core because I don't ever talk about it much, but um, Aladdin is probably my favorite Disney movie. I kind of oscillate between Aladdin and The Lion King being my favorite. And right now, Aladdin is this kind of like my ultimate supreme favorite Disney movie. And while I love Robin Williams' genie, and I think his performance in it was absolutely brilliant. Literally, anyone who has seen the movie can attest to that. My personal favorite part of the movie is Gilbert Gottfried as Iago the Parrot. If you watch that movie with me, I am going to say every single syllable, every single letter of his lines because they are just so funny to me. Anytime that man opened his mouth, just the sound of his voice made me laugh. So... It was, it was really, it was a sad loss, but you know, he's left behind such a illustrious career and you got to appreciate people for what they left with us. And he left us with so many laughs, so many good times. So rest in peace, Gilbert Gottfried. You will be missed, especially by me. In more news, we got more casting news about this Barbie movie from Greta Gerwig. It just seems like people are piling on to the cast list like it's no tomorrow. It's going to be led by Margot Robbie. I think Ryan Gosling is in it. And also the girl from, I think, Sex Education, who like bears a, a striking resemblance to Margot Robbie, has also been cast in it too. And I think Will Ferrell is also in it. It's, the cast list will not stop growing for this film and to be honest I have no idea what it's about I don't know if it's supposed to be from the perspective of Barbie I don't know if it's supposed to be about the woman who created Barbie Ruth Handler I don't really know what's going on but I know that I will be seated and I will be watching it my one thing I tweeted about this but my one thing Greta Gerwig if you're out there and you're listening for whatever reason um I'm willing to turn the other cheek to the fact that you don't like putting POCs in your movies all that much. Temporarily, I am turning the other way. But in return, I'm going to need for you to give me the full Barbie fantasy for this film. I'm going to need that. I'm requesting that humbly. I want pink. I want fun. I want kitschy. Like, I, I don't want this to be like a gritty Barbie retelling. Like, I want the full, I want it all. You know what I mean? Um... Because Barbie, like, Barbie is very, like, she has a very particular place in pop culture. And I'm going to need for you to meet that. Preferably, I'm going to need for you to exceed that. But at the very least, I'm going to need for you to meet that. So, glad we had this chat. Anyways. <laughs> and finally, this is not really news. This is just something about me. I'm already beginning my Emmys prep. What you guys don't know about me. I love, I love film. It's something that I'm very passionate about. But when it comes to television, the Emmys, that's my Super Bowl. If you've followed me on Twitter for even more than a year, you know that I lose my mind when it comes to the Emmys. I remember where I was for the shit sweep, which was when Shit's Creek swept the basically the entire comedy category. And I think got like mostly every award that it was nominated for. That was a, a moment in time. I remember literally like almost like doubling over in excitement when Zendaya won her first Emmy. That was a moment. It was just, it was a big deal. The Emmys are a very big deal to me. So I'm already beginning my prep for it because I want to be 
So I want to be so ready for like when these nominations come out, I'm like, yes or no, that should have been nominated, you know? So if you have any TV shows that you think are definitely going to be Emmy's gold this year, please let me know because I'm, I'm already getting my Emmy's homework together so that I can tackle it before nominations come out. I think in June or July, they always come out in the summer. So with all that being said, opening minutes are done. Let's move on to the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. So if you've been on my TikTok for the past like week or so, you'll know that I've been diving into the world of movie posters. We've talked about some popular cliches that we can find in them that kind of connect to specific genres. I've shared some of my favorites, some personal favorites of mine being like Jurassic Park and E.T. and The Devil Wears Prada, Ant-Man, which also had like some really good posters that no one wants to talk about. And of course, I shared some bad ones as well. There are a lot of Marvel ones that are not good, but that is besides the point. But when researching bad movie posters, it kind of got me thinking about how bad marketing can easily ruin a pretty good movie. Thus bringing us to the subject of today's episode, the horror cult classic, Jennifer's Body. Released in 2009 and directed by Karen Kusama, Jennifer's Body has in recent years become a classic to fans of horror and casual moviegoers alike. If you're not familiar with the film, here is a brief description per IMDb. Nerdy, reserved bookworm, needy less Nikki, and arrogant, conceited cheerleader Jennifer Check are best friends, though they share little in common. They share even less in common when Jennifer mysteriously gains an appetite for human blood after a disastrous fire at a local bar. As Needy's male classmates are steadily killed in gruesome attacks, the young girl must uncover the truth behind her friend's transformation and find a way to stop the bloodthirsty rampage before it reaches her own boyfriend, Chip. The film stars Amanda Seyfried, Adam Brody, Amy Sedaris, J.K. Simmons, and Megan Fox as the titular character. The film also gave us the iconic line where Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy, says to Jennifer, horrified, you're killing people. And Jennifer responds with, no, I'm killing boys. Boys are just placeholders. They come and they go. Classic. It's a classic line. In recent years, the film has been praised for being what some regarded as a forgotten feminist classic. And if you've seen it, you could probably corroborate that. The film is by many accounts a horror film geared towards women. So you got a solid story, you got a solid cast, you should get a pretty solid reception, right? Not for Jennifer's body. The film pulled in $31.6 million and got a 45% critic score and 35% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It kind of got dragged across the coals by critics and just didn't really have a good box office reception. Now, I will say, I want to make a note about uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores. That if you are a film girly, not like the film bros, none of that, because they, they live and die by Rotten Tomatoes scores. But if you are a film girly, you are not afraid of a movie having a low score on Rotten Tomatoes. And the way that I like to view it is that there are plenty of good movies who have dog awful Rotten Tomato scores. Like I'm talking in the 20s, in the 10s, maybe zero. Who knows? But the real test is if if the girlies like it and it has a low Rotten Tomato score, it's probably a good movie. So like, for example, the 2002 live action Scooby-Doo movie. Guess what? Guess what percentage that has on Rotten Tomatoes? 30. A 30% critic score 
on Rotten Tomatoes for that film. And if you've seen it, you know it's a masterpiece. So they're just objectively wrong about that. Bring It On All or Nothing, starring Solange and Hayden Panettiere. 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. So you see, Rotten Tomatoes scores, like, they can be low, but if the girlies still love it, it's probably still a good movie. But I digress. So where did things really go wrong with Jennifer's body? Well, you'll remember that I mentioned that the film was released in 2009 and starred Megan Fox. Megan Fox had just appeared in the Michael Bay Transformers film franchise, where she was featured in many questionable, very like sexual shots. She was quickly becoming a a sex symbol kind of in the eyes of pop culture and society. So you can probably guess where things went awry. The film, remember, a film that I said was by most accounts a horror film for women, was primarily marketed to men, mainly frat dudes. There's really no way around who this film was intended for, and the writer of the film, Diablo Cody, who wrote the Academy Award winning screenplay for the hit Juno, was pretty clear on that. Cody is quoted as saying, I wrote it for girls. If a guy wrote a movie with the line, hell is a teenage girl, I would reject that. But I'm allowed to say it because I was one. I think the fact that we were a female creative team gave us permission to make observations about some of the more toxic aspects of female friendship. So with a female creative team and two female leads, the studio who produced the film, 20th Century Fox, thought, we're going to market this one for the boys. Which, we'll see how that turned out much to the dismay of Kasama and Cody. Kasama told BuzzFeed in an interview a couple of years ago, quote, I kept sort of reminding everyone, guys, we can't market this movie to boys and then have them go to the theater expecting one thing and then seeing Megan Fox not really take off her clothes, but rip a guy's intestines out and eat them. And let me tell you, the studio had some real plans for this marketing campaign. They wanted to go full stop with the kind of sexualizing Megan Fox angle for this film. So much so that Kasama revealed that in that BuzzFeed article that the studio's marketing team kind of reduced the marketing campaign for the film down to three words, Megan Fox hot. The campaign featured a scantily clad fox on the poster with taglines attached like, she's got a taste for bad boys. And if you can believe it, the studio even floated the idea of having Megan Fox host an amateur porn site as a form of guerrilla marketing for the film, which thankfully didn't happen. And yes, if you're wondering, Kasama and Cody tried to push back on this approach to the marketing. And Kosama remembers that she and Cody received an email that said, quote, Jennifer's sexy, she's still your boyfriend, and as a response to their concerns over the marketing. The studio wanted to capitalize on Megan Fox's mounting sex symbol status, which kind of directly butted heads with the film and kind of the core of it. The marketing of the film came at a great misunderstanding of the core of what the film was about from the studio that was supposed to be backing it. So if the studio couldn't even wrap their heads around it, how could audiences? Kosama and Cody have kind of postulated that they think that the marketing of the film came before the studio even saw it. They just knew that Megan Fox was attached to it and they kind of ran with this angle with no regard for what the film was actually about. And the issue was almost twofold. 
The hypersexualization of Megan Fox in the film's marketing almost promised men that they were about to get hypersexual Megan Fox in the film. And when they got her ripping out the throats of men, they obviously rejected it. And then those men told other men that the film wasn't worth seeing. And then the target audience, women, were probably turned off by the marketing because they, rightfully so, thought that the film was catering mainly to the male gaze and therefore there wasn't much there for them. And then on top of this, the film was probably being reviewed by people whom the film was not intended for. It's like that Brie Larson quote, and if you don't know, Brie Larson gave a speech at an awards ceremony a few years ago, and a little segment of it says, quote, I don't need a 40-year-old white dude to tell me what didn't work about A Wrinkle in Time. It wasn't made for him. I want to know what it meant to women of color, biracial women, to teen women of color. Am I saying I hate white dudes? No, I am not. What I am saying is if you make a movie that is a love letter to women of color, there is an insanely low chance a woman of color will have a chance to see your movie and review your movie. So in the case of Jennifer's body, there is a large likelihood that due to the completely imbalanced makeup of film critics, not many female film critics were probably able to review this film and give their perspective on it. So it was truly just a cacophony of of nonsense that went on essentially around this film that ultimately led it to having this, you know, completely ruined reputation with film fans for many years. And it's really not until probably within the last, I would say maybe like four to five years that a new generation of film fans have rediscovered Jennifer's body and come back around to it and been like, no, this film is actually like pretty solid. Like it's, it's pretty good. And it's mainly because the people who would have been able to enjoy it and give their thoughts on it. Now there's a much more, you know, public forum of being able to share film criticism. You don't have to be a formal reviewer to give your thoughts on a film. Now, many people have platforms, you know, like I am proof positive of that, but you now have like a new generation of mainly like young women around my age so like 20 something women who were able to finally see the film because they were too young to probably see it when it first came out and they're rediscovering it and being like yeah this is actually a really good movie so my closing thoughts this is not an anomaly by any means many a film has fallen prey to god-awful marketing and sometimes it is really just as simple as a bad tagline that can easily derail what could be considered a pretty excellent movie. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. And if you're wondering, Afternooners, what is that or who is that? Well, that is the new name for all of us pop culture crazies. I, I never really like using the word followers. I just, it's something about the connotation with that. I don't love. I don't love. Um, but I think the Afternooners kind of has a, a good ring to it. I don't know. What do you guys think? It makes it feel like it's a it's a cool club. You know what I mean? And I will. I have to say, because I know that I will catch hell if I don't say this, I cannot take any credit for coming up with the name The Afternooners. All credit goes to my mother. So thank you, mom. Everybody say thank you, Bobby's mom, for coming up with the name The Afternooners. So just have to get that out of the way. <laughs> if you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. We have a lot of fun over there. You can also keep up with this podcast specifically over on Instagram at 
hi i'm bobby podcast and that is all one word and if you're thinking bobby i'm not gonna remember that i'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that they wanted megan fox to host an amateur porn site for the marketing of jennifer's body there's a lot going on right now bestie i get it i put it all in the description box just for you whenever you're ready i'm not gonna push you whenever you're ready And I know I usually do the part at this point in the episode where I invite you to send me audio messages, but I kind of want to shake things up a little bit. Audio messages are still a thing. If you feel so moved to send me one after this episode, you still have the option to. I will uh, continue to leave it in the description box, but I kind of want to switch things up. So as you can probably tell, I, I do spend a couple hours like researching for these episodes. And that means that I am listening to a lot of music while doing it. Um, I always have something going on in the background. I just have to, I cannot work in silence. It just truly does not work for me. So I thought I'd share every week what each episode is powered by. So this week's episode was powered by Rina Sawayama and her 2020 classic album, Sawayama, specifically the songs Dynasty, Excess, STFU, and Who's Gonna Save You Now. If you haven't heard this album, what are you doing? It's so, so good. And if anyone is going to her concert in New York in May and has a spare ticket, go on ahead and send me a DM because I need to see my queen, Rena. Anyways... That's what this week's episode is powered by. Tune in next week to see what next week's episode is powered by. And I can tell you right now, it will probably be either Shrek 1 or 2 soundtrack because I always put that on as work music. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai, and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade! And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.